Sorry. You say your mom started school in 18 something. No, no, no. <laughs> she was in the same 1800. I'm like, wow. Welcome back to episode two of Next Stop Africa. I am your gracious host, Amiki Koma. I am Congolese. I'm here with my beautiful co host, Benny. She's from Rwanda. We have four special guests here with us today. The first one you guys already know. He does all the behind the scenes work. Luna Dominguez. He's Dominican and Puerto Rican. Uh, I have my boy Omar. He's from Mauritania. We have Carol here with us today. She's Senegalese. And all the way live from Kenya is Malik. He's Sudanese. Uh, I know we told you guys that episode two was going to be about fashion, but because we have Malik who's actually in Kenya as we speak, we decided to switch it up a little bit so that we could fit in his busy schedule. So uh, today's uh, episode, it'll be on uh, the African educational system. I think this is something that's kind of close and dear to a lot of people, especially like the African diaspora. As we uh, as we grow and we watch Africa kind of, I guess, take a turn for the worst. Well, I mean, it was already like robbed, but, you know, but yeah, I think um, the education system is like the first step towards anything. But before we jump into the topic today, I did have a, a little story. Well, not a story. I was on, um, I think it was LinkedIn or or Twitter, one of them. Like I'm, I'm in a stage of my life where I'm either on LinkedIn or I'm on Twitter. There's no in between, you know, but I was, um, I was scrolling on one of them and I saw a video about this checker player named Baba C. He's actually a uh, Senegalese. So I don't know. I don't know if Carol, you know about this guy, but yeah. oh, you know about him. Okay, cool. Wow. So I was the only one that done that didn't know, but yeah, he's, um, an African international checker player. He was the first world champion from Africa. Uh, the video itself was about how in 1962, uh, Germany organized like this big like game slash party, I guess you could call it, where Baba C was like the, the only like Senegalese and only African player there. He played against and defeated 150 players simultaneously. He spent like a few seconds per table or whatever. And um, at the party, there was like several champions. It was just like, I don't know, it was interesting watching the video. You know, he was just like smoking a cigarette and just walking around and just like beating all these people. You feel me? Like, it just felt, I don't know, it felt good. Like reparations a little bit, like mm-hmm. smartest guy in the room, you know? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty dope because I, I never even knew anything about that. But I, I also like did a little research and I saw that like, um, Checkers is like a big, big thing in Senegal itself. So, like, I guess there's like this long history. I don't, don't quote me on this. I don't know if it actually like traces back to like Senegal where it started, but but I heard like Senegal is kind of like a big, big spot for that. So, but yeah, uh, we could jump into today's topic real quick. I just wanted to kind of, um, I guess, bullet points that I wanted us to hit today kind of just wanted to start off with kind of talking about like each person's personal experience with the African education system. 
kind of look at the overall issue with that system. Definitely wanted to talk about like girls and women in the African education system and kind of just wrap it up with like talking about like steps that we could take to fix the issues we kind of outlined at the beginning. So, so I could start out my own personal experience. Moved to the States when I was about nine. So my experience is kind of limited. And uh, I guess the knowledge I have of it is more so like from my two older siblings and my parents. But the teachers are very strict. Like, I mean, f- first and foremost, I was definitely, um, I was definitely lucky to be able to, to be in school where um, the teachers were present every day. So, so I definitely like um, big shout outs to my parents for that. But they were very strict. I think Afri- African teachers are very strict. You know, they hit you when you like get stuff wrong. I remember, I remember one time, I don't know what I did, but I think I joke around too much. That's my problem in my entire life. I always, I play too much. And I did get hit with a ruler at like uh, on my knuckles, like the edge of the ruler on my knuckles. Mm-hmm. I remember that vividly. And I think that's when I learned to never say anything to a teacher. And I've taken that with me throughout my life, you know. But then you come, you come to the States and then you realize that, you know, it's illegal for teachers to even like touch you or even breathe on you wrong. You know what I mean? So like, so it was kind of like, uh, it, it was it was a little bit different because, you know, I was sitting in class and like I would see kids just talk back, you know, and just say whatever. And it's kind of like, wow, you don't even understand how lucky you have it, bro. Like you would have been jumped. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? But yeah, so that's kind of like my experience. And um, I guess, Benny, you could start it off like um, I know I know you have like a lot of experience in the system itself. Yeah, I kind of had like a tour in every system. I started in four countries in Africa. I started actually my first education experience was in Congo for like a few months (laughs) when I was a little baby. Um, But I ended up studying mostly in Rwanda, my primary school. And after that, I went to a high school for one year. And high school is considered high, both middle school and high and high school in the U.S. system. So technically, I was I did one year of middle school in Rwanda, and I did three years of middle school in Uganda, and I did one year of high school in Senegal. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then I finished high school in the U.S. And other things that I noticed, as you say, like the African education system is really like strict, but it also depends on what type of education system, what what type of curriculum did you follow? Because as we know, like there are different curriculums that you can follow in Africa. There's government school, private school, international schools, and all these curriculum, let's say you're doing international schools, you are either in an American system mm. or you're doing a British system, a Chinese system, or a French system. Mm-hmm. So they are all different in each system. It gives you a different experiences. And being in a boarding school or being at home also gives you a different 
experiences. Since I, I was, I explored both. I started with government. I went to private and I went to international schools and I did both British system and I did American system. So it's just a jumble of everything. But in the end, I can say that the American system is way easier than the British or the local government system. Wait, hold on. Why, why do you say that? Like, well, what's, what's the difference between those two? Well, the materials, let's say, um, mm-hmm. as a Maliki can also testify for this, let's say when I was, when we were in boarding, boarding school in Uganda, we were doing a British system, kind of British local mixture thing. But like for middle school is like four years. And you had to remember every single thing you studied the year prior. So the exams were accumulated from seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade. They will test you. So you had to know every single thing you studied three years from there. But when I went to Senegal and I was doing an American system, everything they were testing was mostly the semester, the things I learned in that particular semester. And then that was that was easier. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that kind of paints the picture of like the American education system perfectly. <laughs> Every, I feel like everybody does like find it easier. Even I, even if I find it easy, you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean <laughs> I not gonna lie, it's easy to cheat in the American system. Like mm-hmm. Hey, hey, easy here. Yeah. We're not promoting cheating here. <laughs> of course, no of cheating. Course. Of course not. But Don't I'm listen just, to this guy right now. <laughs> I'm just pointing out like facts. Like, you know, it's very, very easier to do. But yeah, I don't want to like derail so much. Um, uh, Malik, uh, can you tell us a little bit about? Okay. I spent or rather I've, tend- I've attended about five different schools in Africa, East Africa, that's Kenya and uh, Uganda. I believe that the African system mainly focuses on the memorization and regurgitation of facts and information. Um, not that there's anything inherently wrong with, you know, the information. It's useful at the end of the day, but there's little to no practice that, you know, accompanies that, uh, the, the theory that uh, I studied in school uh, for the most part. And if I'm to compare that in contrast to the Chinese system, yes, they do have a lot of memorization just as much as Africa, but they tend to accompany that with a lot more practice. So they have the visual and the hands-on experience that Africans don't get to have. Uh, Carol, what was your experience like? So my experience overall, I I did go to school in Senegal. Then I came here for high school. And I will say in Senegal, it was mostly a French system and then a Senegalese system and then a, a British system. Like it was a mixture of like everything, but everything was like based on like memorization in Af- like in the African system, like in Senegal, even though I went to a French school, personally, I also think the American system is like the easiest because in America, they focused more on like practice than actually like memorizing things. And then I feel like the curriculum in Senegal in most schools in Senegal was made years back during like colonization. So it's pretty outdated. Well, you're saying like in, in Senegal, like what, what you guys use currently is like the same 
system yeah. that one. Huh. Yes. But then if you go to private school, they actually like update the curriculum or whatever. But like for most people, and I, I was doing my research and then I noticed that in a, in a lot of African countries, like especially like West African countries, it's the same thing. Like if you go to public school or like like a government school, it will be like uh, like an old curriculum. Mm. And that's the government's fault. But then we're going to get to that later. <laughs> Yeah. And that's so true. And it's not just for West Africa. As we said, I also studied in East Africa. In East Africa too. I, I noticed when I was in Senegal, I was always like good in school. Why? Because I'm really good at memorizing things. I noticed like with certain things, especially like with math and everything, I was still good. But sometimes I feel like the teachers are too strict and they, they put fear on you to the point where you can't even like express yourself or you can't even learn effectively. When I came to the U.S., the teachers, like they saw my potential and they realized, oh, this girl is actually really good. They were not too strict on me, which I enjoyed learning certain things. And I, I noticed that the things that I couldn't get in Africa, I actually got it here. Why? Because the teachers were not putting too much pressure on me, like like in Africa. <laughs> well, for the most I know. part, yeah, yeah, I I agree, and a little bit. I don't know because um, me, me and Luden went to um an engineering school. Mm. I can say like emphasis on the cheating. Oh, easy. <laughs> there you go again. <laughs> no, that's no. so true. Though I, I know no. what you mean. I know yeah. what. You- so yeah, so so that's what I'm saying. Like the reason why I keep saying like the American education system is a little bit easier is because like I've seen people like just cheat their way through their whole four years. You know what I mean? And like that's the thing that I wanted to point out too. In the African system, is too much theory and little practice. Now right. in the U.S., it's both right. And then if you cheat, and then you get to the job. And they're like, bro, how come you don't know how you don't know these things? I thought you you said you went to school and you learned these things, right? <laughs> That's when they catch you. So you you know who really did the job and who right. did not, basically. But in Africa, you can't even tell because even the people who cheat, everything is all about theory. And then even the people who don't cheat or the people who cheat, they're all the same. Yeah. <laughs> That's the it's the lack of practice when it comes to like the African education systems. Yeah, I just wanted to agree with the first point that uh, Ms. Carol pointed out about how the uh, the education system in Africa is not evolving fast enough to catch the global times and, you know, the ever-changing systems out there. The problem is that we still use most of the syllabuses or syllabi that we inherited from our so-called colonial masters. Yes. And since then, we've done nothing to, you know, improve or interlink or integrate or assimilate oh, those yeah. systems to our own cultures, ideologies, and identity. Mm. Hold on now. <laughs> we'll dive, we'll dive. Yeah, yeah, we'll dive a little bit deeper in that. Um, well, I, w- I want to get like Omar and Luden's opinion real quick, and then um, we'll go right back to what Malik said. Mm-hmm. But, um, Omar, um, what was your experience like? I studied in Mauritania until I was 16. From first to sixth grade, I went to a private school that was teaching history and geography of like your own country itself. 
you know, once you reach a certain point, though, you realize if you continue in this system, you you may not have the same opportunities as other people who went to a program that does, let's say, the French program or the American system. So after sixth grade or something like that, I ended up going to a private school. Um, that private school was doing the French curriculum. It was up to date and we were taking the same exams that people in France were taking. So that kind of puts you in a whole mindset that gets you ready for schooling. So maybe it's because I went to private school. I would say that I enjoyed the African education system a lot. Okay. And all right, so so Luden, I guess this is my question for you. I, I guess as like an outsider, right? Mm-hmm. Looking in like I guess kind of growing up in the American system. How were you guys taught to view the African system? Or like how how did you guys look at the African educational system? So my middle school and elementary school was all one. My high school was in Harlem. And then the only, if you want to call it Americanized, if you know what I mean, um, was at my university or our university for Omar, Amy, and I, where that was more of the more Americanized education. And the reason I'm saying all this is because my middle school and elementary school, it was a bilingual school and it was dedicated for Hispanics, either who just came from, you know, their country or a lot of students or a lot of kids who were first generations. So the school really prided themselves on, you know, developing future leaders on that. So a lot of our curriculum was, I guess, it was from the American education system, but it had the teaching and the authority similar to a modern version of what you would see from outside the American education system, if, if that makes sense. Um, in high school, that's when they kind of started talking about abroad. Now, the reason why I mentioned all this is because the one thing that I took away from every experience that I had around me was that a lot of individuals were saying that the uh, education system out there um, is better and will develop you and will develop you better as a person. So that's kind of like my generic answer because you know I, i'm kind of a first right, generation but, <laughs> right but my 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 question was more so like how were you guys i guess taught to look at the african education system not not more so like how how you guys were taught to look at the american education system like because i I mean, I know the answer, you know, I mean, you're taught to look at it like it's primitive, you know what I'm saying? And, and I think that's actually it's the opposite. You look at African educational system in a in a different light. Yeah. I, I, at least from looking like back in my memory, like I don't I was never taught that the education system in other countries was primitive or was below or beneath. Or anything like that, which is why I was mentioning. Bro, what school did you go? To? I'm telling you, like <laughs> the elementary, middle school was like it was dead. It was minority individuals. So, like because of that, it was like it was from people growing up from like places that like when my mom went to school, mm-hmm. like they she would tell me how like when they you know how parents be like back in my day, right. um she was like you know they will beat me with a ruler and stuff like that. If I got one problem wrong. And I was like writing with a pencil. They wouldn't let me like erase. It would you had to scratch the whole thing, start all over, and do it from scratch without a calculator, without this, and without that. So it was like a lot of the people that were at that 
you know, at those schools um, was like that. And then my school in Harlem, uh, my school in Harlem was like founded on co uh, college career preparatory. So like basically everything that you will see in college and universities is what my high school was doing. So it was like diversify yourself, get out there, see other education. Like it was it was constantly trying to better yourself is how it was taught and grew and grew up. Uh, I mean, big shout outs to your school because I, <laughs> look, I, I would say in, in all honesty, I think a lot of times, well, I, I know for sure, like the Western world kind of does look at any other country as beneath them, 100%. That's also why, well, I guess this will bring me to the to the second point that I want to hit today, which is like, I guess the the overall issues with the African education system. The way I, I'll say that I interpret it, how Americans view the African education system is like, it's it's really nothing. Like whatever y'all learn out there, it's nothing. You can't really use it. You know what I mean? And I say that because my my dad, he was an engineer in Congo and he was a professor. But when he first got here, it was hard for him to to use that degree. You know what I mean? Because it was seen as no value. And I think that's that's I've met a lot of people and not, not just African. I've met a lot of like people like I've met Indians that were doctors in India that can't really practice out here. And I'm not saying all of them, but there's like a good portion. And I think and I guess it's more so like. Why is that? You know what I mean? Like, why does the world view like, I guess we could stick with Africa. Like, why would the world view like a degree? Because like as an engineer, you know, when you're doing math, you're doing physics, that's just that's that doesn't that's not going to change depending on where you are. Math is math, whether whether you're in whether in whether you're in Africa, one plus one is still going to be two. You know what I mean? Like, I guess the only thing that could change is probably like, OK, we now go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Before I say anything. I'm not going against, I'm not going for, I'm just presenting another side. Uh -huh. um, I know specifically for engineering, you know, I think the biggest difference is the American measuring system is below, beneath, and behind time and should follow the metric system and not the right. English system. Right. And the English system is absolute trash. And the metric, uh, metric system is supreme, but you know, that's just for me to say anyway. Um, so it's like you have, how would, okay. So you, you know, let's say you've been here since the, since the day you've been born, right. You've been in born and raised for the English system. And then, you know, someone comes who studied engineering, but from the metric system comes over here um, with their degree. Now I, I, I agree that the degree shouldn't be discounted. How would you, I guess the question is, how would you take one way of how they did things and then transfer it to how society does things differently? Exactly. Does, that question, does that question make sense? Yes, it makes a lot of sense. I understand where you're coming from, like not to cut you off or anything. Oh, no, you're good, you're good. And, and he was saying earlier, someone coming from Africa who's a doctor. And then my mom went to school in Russia. She didn't go to school in Africa. She studied like biology. And now she came to America and they're like, no, they're not taking those credits. Like they don't care. Um, she's a nurse here. 
even though she has like a doctorate. But it's not because she comes from Africa or because they think that the Russian um, education system is wrong. But when it comes to like biology or medicine, it's different from from con- like continents. There are diseases that we have in Africa that they don't have here. They they don't have here anymore. There there are ways of doing things that they have they do in Africa that they don't do here the same way, like vice versa. So that explains everything. So that makes sense to me. But I feel like they should not automatically discredit like a degree from Africa. Like, for example, as you were saying earlier, Amy, when I came to this country, they wanted me to repeat a grade without even knowing that I, I knew more than most of these children like in, <laughs> in my classroom. But then they wanted me to repeat the same grade. And I was like, I literally went to the, the principal and I fought them. And I, were, I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to my grade. I'm doing what I want to do because I felt like I was more advanced than most of these children. And they thought because I was from Africa, I wouldn't be able to like keep up. Right. Okay. Like, so why uh, are you guys <laughs> need to repeat a grade? Do you know where I come from? Just because I'm from Africa. <laughs> Don't play me like that. <laughs> uh, I do have a something to say. Um, about I'm that. sorry, Benny, real quick. Malik and Omar, you guys could jump in at any time if you want to. I don't want you guys to feel like... Um, no, yeah, 100%. Like, I'm just yeah, enjoying yeah. the stories because Carol and I, like she said, we went to the same school. I came in halfway through high school. I came in basically with the equivalent of 10th grade material. So I had to do 11th and 12th grade here. I mean, I went to an African school, sure. But I did the French system where, like, let's say when you're taking physics and chemistry, it's not just a separate class. You're taking four years of those two combined called physics shimmy like it's just like a merge so when i came in they realized that oh hey yeah you know there's a certain credit requirement for you to graduate high school although you've done this for so long we can't give you the full credits and stuff like that so you'd only take half and half so i remember i was in the math class that i took um and the material was the same thing i did two grades back I was trying to go and get, you know, the credit transferred out because it just showed like I didn't even need to do all the work. So what ended up happening was in my math class, the teacher, what they came to me about was that, oh, hey, you know, there's so many kids in this class. If you can take half of the group and explain to them, so I wouldn't have to do the homework and stuff like that just to get the grade. So that's just kind of, you see, pushing, pushing you back off. Like, <laughs> so, did they pay so you? She, right? <laughs> like, so, they, so they used you to teach the class for free. Yes. Yeah. So that's child labor. We need to go back and sue them right now. I think that's <laughs> we had to give classes I to mean, like other children. Amy just wants the money. <laughs> I was a high school student. I didn't have to do homework. So I think I was fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, my bad. I know I cut off Benny earlier, my bad. I mean, I wanted to, like, kind of emphasize and also bring, like, another opinion to the topic. The issue with a lot of people who studied abroad coming to U.S. not being able to work. Yes, there is that, like, metrics and English system that looks different or whatever. But, like, it's also, like, applicable to different career fields. Even if a, a person studied history, I mean, obviously history is going to be hard. Let me say if you studied literature, literature is a global language. But even if you study literature in Africa and you come to U.S. and you're trying to 
find a job, most of the time, what are they going to now use as an excuse? They're going to say a language barrier because there's that automatic bias that Africans don't speak English. But it's also not just in the U.S. I do know a lot of people who studied in Africa and went to Europe. Majority of them are either in Belgium or German, but they're not able to practice there. So there is common factor that is behind a people who study in Africa not being able to work in different countries where they go. But also we have to understand like strengthening your education and taking pride in your education gives you a, a hands up to, to being able to provide more opportunities for your citizens to work in any country. I'm currently pursuing like trying to get my MD. If you study for medical doctorate in the US, you can practice anywhere in the world, anywhere. You study, we're not doing like strictly metrics, right? But if you study in America, you can go and practice in Africa where they do metrics, right? If you study engineer in America, you can practice in uh, say China, you can you can get a work in Africa, you can get a job in Europe. They don't limit you. Mm-hmm. If you're a nurse in America, you can be a nurse anywhere in the world. But if you're a nurse in Africa, most likely when you come to US, you're not going to get that job. And it's not just in America. My aunt was a full practicing nurse in Senegal where she got a nursing degree. But when she went to Canada, they refused her to practice as a nurse and they asked her to start over. And even with that, they don't even want her to just go directly to nursing school. They want her to start over, do GED or go to high school and do something like that. And that's the thing I say, like the education system and the way you take pride in the education system can affect how your citizens are going to have opportunity in practicing in any country that they want. America has taken the high hand in this. And as long as you have that certificate that say American degree, you have a passport to any country. Just like when you have an American passport. (laughs) I think why most countries, especially in the West, why they might not be able to, you know, accept degrees or grades from other countries is because from an early age, they have a mindset that they nurture in their citizen. So you coming in from a different place, you might not know, you know, you might not be well versed in that culture and workforce and, you know, they have the direction that they're trying to take. So they know that it will be difficult for you to, you know, assimilate to that work culture or to that mindset that they're already, you know, nurturing their kids. So um, I think that's why it's usually difficult for them to accept it. In most cases, that of your papers or degrees from you know, other places. That's a different way to look at it. I don't know. I just feel like for anybody that has that higher level education, I don't think it, it will be hard for you to adapt to whatever environment you're thrown in, right? Because first off, you as a person, you're choosing, right, to get into that environment. So I think you would know, like, hey, I think I'm, I'm ready to do that. But I mean, it makes sense what you said. But I just, I just feel like they view anybody that hasn't studied in this in the Western world as like you don't know what you're doing. 
You know what I mean? And I think that's that's messed up. I think that's foul. And real quick to go back to a little bit what um to what Malik and Carol was talking about about um how the African education system is kind of linked to the um I'm blanking. Colonial? Yes, to the colonial. Yes, yes. Colonization. Yes. 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 But honestly, everything is linked to that, right? Because that's how yeah, most African curriculums right. are outdated. Yeah. Right. They never updated it since colonization, which right. is unfortunate. And you know what's crazy? Um, actually, Nigeria, we, we were just talking about how most American schools, they don't accept like credits or from like African schools or whatever. But there are schools here in America that accept uh, Nigerian degrees, actually, because it's an agreement between the Nigerian government and America. And that goes back to what um, Malik Man. was saying. It's about like taking pride also, because I feel like Nigerians they know how to like they know how to do that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, if you're Nigerian and you went to school in Nigeria, uh, certain colleges here in the U.S. accept Nigerian degrees. The more you know, I never knew that. Mm-hmm, they do. Wow! Well, shout out to Nigeria for always pushing. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> But yeah, um, so real quick, I was, when I was doing some research, I found some facts, right? Because I was trying to, I was trying to look at like, kind of just like the broad overall issues of like the education system itself, right? So one of the facts that I found was um, Africa has the highest rates of educational exclusion in the world. Over one fifth of children between the ages of six and 11 and one third of children between the ages of 12 and 14 are out of school. Almost 60% of children in sub-Saharan Africa between the ages of 15 and 17 are not in school. Uh, in sub-Saharan Africa, only a quarter of pre-primary teachers are trained, which also is another problem. Uh, I feel like a lot of the teachers don't don't show up to the classes consecutively, which also comes down to not being paid, which also comes down to um the lack of like an anonymity. Is that the is that how you pronounce it? But yeah, it comes down to that because like they don't have the materials for the for the students itself. You know what I mean? So so th- those are some of the stuff that like I was reading and made me think and like I was really um I was really bothered by like the the whole teacher thing. I mean which you can't you can't really blame them, you know, even me as a person if I'm not if I'm not getting paid. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could love to want to teach so much, but at the same time, like, I have to provide for myself. So it's, it's it's a whole, like, it's a whole big thing, you know, that, like, obviously people noticing this issue, but, like, are kind of not really taking the right measures to fix it. Sidebar, my biggest issue is with the UN <laughs> because they always have all this data that they collect and then, like, that's where it stops. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to go around, collect all this data. Oh, Africa is this, Africa is that. Okay. So, like, why are you guys in there in the first place? By the way, all those facts did come from <laughs> the United Nations uh, website. They have a United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. There's an article that they wrote on there. But, yeah, so I don't, I don't know, like, um, what, what's one issue? that that bothers you the most you know about the system itself 
don't all jump at once. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, I guess one of the things that bothered me was especially when we were studying about history, the history of colonialism in Africa. It did not feel like it was a history about people that were dehumanized for so long. It did not feel like it was a history about people that were robbed for so long. It just felt like we were learning, you know, regular ABCs or one, two, three, you know. So I think we need to change the way we teach our history. We need to, you know, identify and maybe inspire the, the, the younger generation to understand that we've come from a bad place. Um, and this, these are the facts, you know. Not that it should just be taught like, uh, this is what happened. It was terrible. Yeah, sure. You know, get over it. No, that doesn't help. And it doesn't really, you know, um, emphasize the, the narrative that, you know, black men or black people in general were dehumanized for so long. And the fact that it, it, it's taught as if it does not, it does not still affect the modern day black person. That kind of, you know, angers me. I'm not going to lie. I always, I always thought about how they taught african history you know and and uh, to be honest i'm not even surprised about what you said because it's the same thing about you know slavery over here you know where they're trying to push it to where it was like oh africans came here by themselves and they were just workers you know what i mean like trying to make it seem like we just decided we just yeah we just wanted to come here for free and then and then and enjoy whatever whatever was here you know what i mean and i feel like 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 you said, Emily, I think you said it perfectly. I think like we have to continue to teach them young the truth. You know, I think I think once we fail that, it's over. It's done. There's nothing we could do after that. Yeah, and definitely uh there is a like diluting history. And that's what had happened in Africa. As you all are talking about. Africans learning about African history because initially how we learn our own history, it was through oral um, education from your parents or your neighbors, like the people who are elder, they'll tell you stories about your history, how things, how did people feel or something like that. But when we're studying African history right now, it's written through the narrative of the oppressor. It's gonna come lenient. Who wants to, to be considered crazy? Why would a white person write explaining why white people are bad to African history or something like that? It just a few of them would. Majority of the time, until you own your own narrative, which is lacking mm-hmm. in Africa. Majority of the books we are reading. Napoleon. Why am I reading Napoleon? Why can't I first read another <laughs> person? Like, you know how much I lost my goddamn mind on this Napoleon. It was a failure. <laughs> <laughs> and let me stop. For those who like Napoleon, I'm sorry. Africans, we have to like write our own history. Yes, and tell our own stories. Like, we cannot keep counting on like other people like stories because yeah. it's like subjective obviously those people they're gonna make themselves look good and they're gonna make us look bad yeah and on that note Mm -hmm. my fault don't go ahead benny no 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 you can go okay i'm sorry i I don't mean to talk over i was just gonna disagree because again 
my middle school and elementary school is a lot different. We were in the seventh grade. So we had this, I'm going to say middle-aged, middle-aged white Jewish lady who was teaching our uh, U.S. history. And we all looked at each other in embarrassment when this happened, when she knew more about our people's history than us. And she told us about more, more details, I should say, more details about Trujillo, which, is, which was a crazy dictator in Dominican Republic who murdered everybody at sight, if you said no, and told us more about what, how Trujillo is, who he was, and like all these different details. Despite it being a solely based U.S. history course, she was going outside and talking about our people's history as well. So uh, it goes along a little bit on the sides with like, you know, just to kind of like know your history a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But on the on the same thing, as as you just say, uh, I'm sorry, Benny. I think Malik has been trying to say something for the longest. Oh, sorry, Malik. Please go ahead. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to add on to what how Africa needs to, you know, take more control over its narrative. I think the first thing that we need to do is understand ourselves. But before we can do that, you know, I mean, once we understand ourselves, we can finally know where we are, where we came from and where we want to go. So we need to define ourselves. And... Uh, uh, we need to look back in the past, try to identify the pieces that were stolen from the fabric of our identity as a collective, you know, patch up those holes. I think once we do that, that's when we'll finally be able to understand ourselves and understand where we want to go as a continent. Yes, I like that. You know why? Because you didn't say, oh, we need to forget about the past or whatever, but we need to go back and find out what was wrong. And then right. we need to correct it. Basically, we don't erase the past, but we take accountability. Right, right. The past is, um, let me say, the 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 the, the basis of our identity. So mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's really important, right? I mean, yeah. I, I'd tell you who is the problem in the past. <laughs> <laughs> we all know who is the problem. <laughs> Yeah. Which is why I was emphasizing, I was about to bring out the point on um, when I was talking about the dilution of history itself. Mm-hmm. And I asked, like, who, like, why would you trust a white person to explain the history about Africa than an African itself? Mm-hmm. I wanted to give an example. Say an accident happens and you are part of that accident. As compared to a person who has seen the accident, like who can give a proper explanation of the feeling of that moment, you know? Some of the books that we read are opinionated white people barely know about African history and all the opinions. Why, how would a white person explicitly explain the African history, the tradition, the rituals, everything that is in, embedded in African history, no white person can explain that. Even if you were, per se, a war happened when you're in Africa, right? Mm-hmm. Was a war fighting, let's say kingdoms are fighting. You are a white person who has just lived there two or three years. Missionaries used to come, but they, they will come and go back, right? And then every time they come, most of the time they were writing what Africans were explaining. And 
the language barrier was already there. Majority of these people didn't even understand proper translation of our languages into English or French uh, language that they did. So the, the story itself is already losing the core uh, values because there is a loss of information in translation itself, yeah. right? And some words in different languages can never be explained in another language. Um, the feelings, certain feelings, the way people express or explain things are already, lose, uh, are already lost in translation or even trying to understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not having that experience itself, it makes you not uh, recognize things in another person's view. Which is why I say, like, the first thing is, like, the, the diluted history has to be corrected itself. Like, we can't continue to study in the books that were written by white people about African history. We can't. Mm-hmm. Wow. I was going to say something really, really, really good. Okay. I, just went, I just went blank. <laughs> <laughs> just tap your head left and right. It's one word. I don't think that's how that works. That's how African <laughs> people make everything yeah. work. You know when your TV doesn't work? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, you slap it, yeah. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah, they come back. Well, Luden was talking about, about like, telling the history of, like, uh, I guess, the, the dictatorship or whatever. I talk about this a lot. I love Patrice Lumumba very, very much. You know? how to... Yeah. Me too. <laughs> yeah. So... Growing up, I was really, I was really into history, right? Like I loved history. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a historian. But you know, my, you know, as an African, is that is that something that you could get across to your parents? No, of course not. <laughs> my path changed, and I am in engineering now. <laughs> but I did love history, right? So I used to watch the History Channel a lot, and um, there was this one time they was doing like a a story on Patrice himself, and it was about how he was executed, right? So here you have like these people that were there, right? Recounting the the story of how like they did what they did to him, you know? And it was just, to me, it was kind of like, okay, why aren't these people on trial? Like how, how is it that they have like a whole TV episode, like just talking about how, they executed him, dumped them in acid. You know what I mean? Like, like the craziest way you can like get rid of a person, you know? What privilege, what power. You know what I mean? So, so again, it's kind of like that where Benny was talking about, like, you can't let somebody else try to write the story. You know what I'm saying? Of, of your, of your people of, of Africa itself, you know, cause a lot of times when you read about when you read about him, they say he was a communist. You know what I mean? They they would say like all these other negative things that were not true. You know, because like mm-hmm. the real thing was he did reach out to the U.S. for help. They said mm-hmm. no. So of course, who who else? Who was who's who's the other superpower at the time? You know, the mm-hmm. only people that was going against the U.S. So they said they said yes. You know what I mean? So how how can you label somebody something? You know, just because like you said no and they said yes. You know what I mean? So it was just, I don't know, stuff like that. It doesn't sit right with my soul. You know what I mean? They should teach, uh, teach um, 
African children, about the African leaders, the ones who were executed, like not just Nelson Mandela, Gaddafi, Gaddafi, it was the same thing for Gaddafi. Same thing. Um, mm-hmm. Thomas Sankara, all of them. About all of them. Yes. Like, bro, like they, they paint these crazy pictures about these leaders, like... But especially, those leaders were actually for us. Like, exactly. Yeah. Especially especially Gaddafi. Like, that was the craziest thing ever. Because, like, like, growing up at this side, right, when you're reading about these stuff, the way that it's written, the way that these stuff is presented to you is as if, like, he's out there, like, torturing people. Right. You know? Like, he's doing all these bad things, and we have to eliminate him. But that's not yeah. the case. He just doesn't want the Western world in Africa anymore. And that's the issue, you know? But why Why would the, U, why would the U.S. tell the people, oh, they don't want us in their continent anymore, so, so we have to kill them? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's always yeah. about self-interest. That's and that's foul, you know, and sidebar, you know, the president at the time was Obama. That's the, <laughs> that's the, that's the bro, but he's not but, the bro. Yeah. Messed <laughs> up. But I, I digress. Let's, uh, <laughs> we could. <laughs> yeah. So going back to, um, what bothers us in the education, um, system mm-hmm. in Africa, I want to say, the fact that the education systems in Africa are like poorly resourced and that leads to like 50% of students in some countries in Africa are not learning effectively. And most of them will leave school without a basic grasp of reading and math or anything. That is a fact, you know, Mm -hmm. just because we were fortunate enough to like go to school and everything. Like that's not the case for a lot of adults like in Africa. So many children who are currently in school, they will not learn enough and they will not acquire the basic skills needed to lead successfully and or to have a productive life. Yeah, that that's actually is true. It bothers me a lot because that's when the government comes in because they were supposed to provide the resources, you know, but there is a lack of, in, of um, infrastructure. So... So it's really poor quality instruction. That's why the teachers don't show up because they're not getting paid enough and they don't have enough resources. Same thing here in the U.S. public schools. I'm glad you brought that up because um, I did read somewhere about like how and I think I think it's like sub-Saharan Africa where they keep yes. you have children up to like the third grade who don't have any form of like literacy or like, like mathematical understanding, which is which is crazy. You know what I mean? And actually, that brings me to, like, the next point. I guess this is, like, this is what's very, we very... You haven't finished, man. <laughs> you have a, a point to bring yeah, yeah. on this. Oh, of course, 100%, oh, 100%. No, I just... <laughs> You're walking on thin ice, Amy. I know. I did say we were done. No, I wanted to bring up the, the, the next point that I wanted to um, talk about, which is, um I guess women or women and girls in the education system because i know like for them is even harder than it is for like boys right because they there was this like statistic where it's like nine million girls between the ages of like six and eleven would never go to school at all right compared to like six million boys you know which which is crazy you know so like you're talking about like 23% of girls out of primary compared to like 19% is crazy. I feel like that comes down to like the girls, the women 
in general in the African community have like more pressure put on them, you know, and they're limited to what they can do. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like by the time you probably hit like an age where you can cook, you know what I'm saying? Now you got to be at, you got to be at home cooking and doing all these other things, you know what I'm saying? Instead of like doing what other kids are doing, like going to school and getting an education, which, which I think, look, my, my thoughts on this, I feel like, um, I always say this, if you educate a woman, you educate the world, right? Cause like they're, they're the ones that spend most time with kids anyway. Right. So it's like a lot of times guys have this option of just walking away, you know, you, they're able to just walk away. They could leave or whatever. The women raise the nation a hundred percent. That's facts. So it's like, if you take that away from them, especially in Africa, you take that away from them, then it's kind of like you're depriving, you know, the whole continent of a certain level of like education. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know if that thought makes sense at all, but like, oh, oh it does. Okay, cool. Cause I, I don't know. I was just like, but yeah, so I don't know. What, you, what are you, what are you guys' thoughts? I guess, um, Benny and Carol really like, how do you guys feel about this? Like, what's your experiences like with something like that? Yeah, that that is that is true that more girls than boys drop out of school before even completing like a secondary um, education in Africa. And that's really bad, even globally, because women are only like two thirds of the million of adults with basic liter- literacy skills. So that's unfortunate. Yeah. I would say it's all start with the gender role, as you say, mm-hmm. uh, and it feeds into like the gender inequality and everything. But as you know, culturally, like African women are thought of, you know, they're the ones who should be at home doing this and doing that. So most of the time uh, when a parent has a son and a daughter, their priority will be to educate their sons over their daughter. Mm-hmm. And this is true because um, my mom was telling me a story. And they had a quite big family. I'll say there were eight, I think, in total as children. And they had two boys and the rest were girls. But when my grandpa always wanted all the children to go to school, right? And my grandma was not opposed to it at any point. But because of the cultural pressure, because now we have other women in my grandmother's um, ears saying, oh, why are you doing all this job when you have children? You should get one of them out of school so that they can help you. Why are you struggling? Did you give birth so that like um, you you can let these people just go to school and waste time because this is what they have been fed. Um, women are supposed to help in the house. That's it. Once you graduate anyway, there's that expectation that most of the time, even if you have education, you're going to come back and be a housewife. So what is the use of you even getting education, you know? Right. Which comes from the problem of no giving equal opportunity to women, because um, if you if women are not facing as much work restrictions and you're giving them equal opportunities, 
there more and more women are going to want to work, not just be housewives, you know? If you give right. them more flexibility, if you give them opportunity to explore a field that they want, because one of the issues um, in an African system also comes from you being limited which education you can get. And I'm giving this as an example in my own country in Rwanda is that they say you do your ninth grade. Yeah, once you finish ninth grade, you take a national exam for all level. And once you do that, you can, I don't even know if you can request which, I think you request different uh, majors you, you want to pursue. But most of the time, the government is going to determine which one you're going to take. My mom graduated top, like, student, even among top students in the country, right? And she always wanted to do medicine. When she did high school national exam, they refused her to go to medical school. And they gave her to do, they gave her to do economics. Wow. And so if, even though, obviously, my mom always liked education, and she always excelled in everything that she did, luckily, but you can imagine if it's a person who wants to do medicine and pull them in economy, sometimes people go in and they will lose interest and they'll be like, you know what, let me just go be a housewife. Not to say like anyone who wants to be a housewife is because they don't want, they don't like their majors or their fields. There's personal choices to being housewife. But there's also these restrictions and that is placed in working fields and education system where like some women even though they go to school they end up deciding not to even pursue their work because they're being forced to do things that they don't want or they are being placed on different discrimination gender inequalities like these different factors that are affecting them and also like making them also want not to go to school and another issue is also lack of resources obviously throughout the world you're going to see unplanned pregnancies in, in among high school children mostly. But like unlike in developed countries where like there's a, a system in place that can help students to still be able to go to school when they're pregnant, you know? And once they finish pregnant they finish giving birth, they can be able to go back to school. Majority of the time in Africa, you get pregnant, you're shown a porn, you look like crazy, you barely have anyone to help you babysit your children. So most of the time when you drop out, you don't have opportunity to even go back and finish school. Here in the U.S., you get to take a GED if you were not able to finish high school and then still be able to go to college and do that. There's not as much opportunities for like African, like African in Africa who are studying in low income communities to be able to take this exam and still continue their like college or, or masters after they give birth. I wanted to agree that it all comes down to the. Uh... The, the mindset that many of our, let me say, older African generations still hold, um, which is that girls and boys are predisposed to perform certain, you know, activities, maybe that girls are supposed to perform motherly and house duties and boys are supposed to be the breadwinners. So we might not really blame them for having that mindset because that's what they grew up knowing. But it's something that still exists, and uh, I think we just need to acknowledge it. And uh, as the younger generation, try to 
you know, show them a different way, maybe pave a way for the next generation since we've known better. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of a lot of pressure on us. We do. <laughs> we have a lot of history rewriting to do. <laughs> so. But but also I feel like we've we've been saying all of this, but we're not taking in consideration that everything is in the hands of our leaders. We mm-hmm. have like really bad leaders. Mm-hmm. And um most of those leaders they send their children to like they're wealthy, so they they, they send their um, children to like um, to study in the best university abroad, um, like Ivy League un- universities. And after their children come back, who's going to rule the country? The children of the wealthy people, the wealthy leaders. The same. So it's a cycle. The yeah. same people who were not giving us like the opportunities that we like that we needed to get. Yeah, they will come back. Their children will come back and rule the our countries. So, while those coming from poor families who went to public school, if they luckily get a job in the public sector, sector, most likely they won't even get a job. Mm-hmm. Another point I wanted to make. I want oh, this thing has been in my mind. Like the most annoying thing that I've seen in our African education system is that when you look at the government, I'm going to focus firstly on the government curriculum. When you follow the local government curriculum, majority of these professors, they focus on failing their their students other than helping them. In the U.S., if a half of your class fail, as a teacher, you're going to lose your job. You know, in African... Uh, African government system, professors take pride in failing their children. They'll make the exam as hard as possible. My mom was telling me an example, even she studied like back in the 1980s, right? And she was telling me how one of her professors always used to go out to celebrate. (laughs) I'm sorry. You say your mom started school in 18 something? No, no, no. <laughs> she was in the same 1900. <laughs> I'm like, wow. I was like, damn. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. So, like back in 1980s, and how her professor used to actually go out to drink because half of his class has failed. And she'll be like, oh, I cooked them today. He will call even the director of the school and proudly exclaim how his class failed. And nothing will happen to this person. (laughs) And it was the same, exact same thing. Me studying in 2010 and 12, and my professor being happy because a half of the class failed <laughs> coming in front of us and saying so a half of the class today failed you guys are not doing good instead of be like okay what can i do to make sure that you guys do well and this is one of the things that is affecting um affecting the people who are trans- let's say transitioning from like a government system going to like international system or coming to us because that happened exactly to me because when I was transitioning from that system going to an American system, the professors didn't understand why my grade, why I was not having a 90. It was like, oh, you don't have an A in class? 
No, because the professor doesn't care if I have an A. He cares if he cooked the class and then the class failed. That was his pride. He couldn't lose a job or he couldn't do nothing. So even with that, they made me go back a grade before, you know, I mean, a grade behind. And then I was like, yes, I'm going to go a grade behind, but like I'm already advanced to these children regardless. But they were in denial. And throughout the classes I was taking, they were surprised because now I was scoring 100% in everything I was doing. And then I was telling them, it's not just because you're seeing uh, an African, uh, I mean, it's not just because you're seeing like a 60%, a 50% in my grade that makes me like less educated or less intelligent. It's because of the system, how it's, it's self-structured. Passing mm-hmm. grade in biology will be like 35%. If you're lucky to get 35%, you go and drink, rejoice, sleep, you are smart, you know? But if you don't get 36, 70 in school, in an American system, that is a D. Like, who is going to accept a D in your class, you know? And when you take that to uh, um, a job market, now you have, let's say, Emmy who is bringing an American education system. His report is showing or chemistry, 90%, physics, 99%. And then you bring, you bring Benita, (laughs) physics, 35%. Who are you going to hire? Look, if if we're going to be honest, (laughs) I passed. I think that's important. Let's not... Please get degrees. You know what I mean. <laughs> You're telling me, I know that for sure. Amy, Amy, Amy is humble right me. now, but he was a TA. You know, he was a TA in an engineering <laughs> school. This man is he's acting up right now. Wow, bro! I'm trying to set an image for myself. <laughs> I would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that ends up like bothering me because since parents know that. Let's say my mom knew that even though my report card was saying one thing, if I go to a different system, it's going to look different. And she had that faith in me, right? And when she she got opportunity, obviously, she transitioned me to this system. And from that, I have way more opportunities, isn't it? Another thing under that structure is also like the treatment, or should I call it mistreatment of students in the school system itself? We can all testify to this. If you went to an African school in a government that allow beatings, Africans like caning students. Oh my God, I hate it when a professor or any teacher gets the biggest stake just because my grade went one point down and I have to get a five caning, you know? Which mindset? is it that is going to make you think that just because you're beating students, you're going to make them smarter, you know? Right. And they think it's true. And God knows, Malik, you can decide to this. I hated Uganda. Oof, I received the most beatings in Uganda. Oh, my God. I'm still traumatized. In Kisui High School, I'm coming after you. Unfortunately, they changed the whole administration. 
That is so true, Benin, because that's what I was saying earlier. When I when I was in Senegal, I actually went to a French school because I got kicked out of a Senegalese school for telling the professor, the teacher wanted wanted to beat me. And I told them that I was going to call the police on them. Hey. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I got kicked out because of that. Mm-hmm. And that's why I went to a French school. He gave me a zero. It was a, how you call it, a gymnastic class, actually. Wow. And the principal, everybody else, they, they they were like so against me. Like, no, 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 no. You need to listen to the teacher. No, I'm not. I've, yeah, I've never heard of that. Usually people just, take, you people just take the beating. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> to call a police. That was <laughs> he gave me a zero and I got kicked out of school. <laughs> the, the only country I can say that has made like a little progress from like beatings, I'm going to give it to my country, my country, Rwanda, because I believe it was when I was in fourth or fifth grade when they abolished caning and beatings in school system. But, you know, Africans, we, I mean, not to say that I want to make you guys get traumatized, but like, I remember like second grade, my professor getting like um, a padlock and hitting it on the head, forehead of a student and his forehead got cracked open. And that's how I was like, that is in school, second grade. Why are you beating children just because or they're making noise or they fail right. classes, you know? I, there were so many incidences. I think one teacher almost like bruised a child, a student, I mean, by pulling their ears off just because they failed class. So it was getting worse. It was getting worse. And I was so happy when... Um, my 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 country abolished beating in schools. Obviously, it did not eliminate it because sometimes you will see the professors or some deans working with the state caning everyone um, here and there. But at least since second grade, I didn't receive any beatings until my first year of middle school. But when I went to Uganda, the first day, no, first week, I started receiving beatings. And the issue with me that I have with these professors, it was that since they knew people from Rwanda don't get cane, they used to be mad, crazy about it. I remember the professor come, uh, uh, that was because I was coming from Rwanda and obviously our curriculum was lagging behind. So I wasn't up to date. My English was not good. Um, I, my school system was in French and then they directly switched to English and we had to start learning in English. And the professor who were Francophone are now teaching Anglophone system. So it was totally messed up. So when I went to Uganda, I wasn't good at English. Not to say I'm good now, but I was struggling. <laughs> I was struggling really hard and professors were not understanding of it. So my grade study, like, going down you know but this sister was telling you you if you miss one point you get one caning if you miss two points you get two canings so if you make a mistake and miss 15 or 12 points you're getting those 12 points caning yes 
You're yeah. dead. <laughs> the professor will get this stick. They beat like as if they're beating a cow. They have no mercy. And I could see a lot of that when parents end up having money, they they start understanding like, oh, my children doesn't need all this beating sometimes, you know? And they will take their children out of that school. And guess where they're going to take them to? International schools, isn't it? And these international schools, they don't beat. I didn't receive any beating in any international school I went to. None of that. And But the issue that comes with that is that now you're taking students from a government-owned schools, right? You're taking them to international school. With that, you're taking away money because each student provides tuition. And the more African children going into international schools, like the more the government is losing money to international schools. And these international schools are owned by mostly white people in different countries. So the money is coming where? It's coming to America, it's going to to UK, it's going to France, it's going to China. Mm-hmm. And we end up saying, oh, why don't we have enough money? Because majority of children of well-off families, they are not attending government school. They are attending private school. And most of the time, obviously, they study abroad. So that also makes me mad because this is a government system that can be fixed easily because if you avoid beatings, if you provide the resources, make the education system, like a government education system, more stronger and respectable, you're going to give more opportunities for local professors, um, even the people, workers, cleaners. There's a lot of uh, opportunities that we take away because the government is not acting in accordance and planning properly. How can we strengthen an African education system? Just these little things. And when I look at it, uh, also like expanding to like, like beating children to make them, to think that beating is going to make them smarter. It's just some bullshit thing. I'm sorry, I forgot. No cursing. <laughs> <laughs> Because, because as I say, when you take the degree you received from these schools that were beating you, and another person brings um, a degree from a school that was not beating, but they, they, they had all different opportunities, you're not going to get the same job as them. They're going to look at you like you're useless, you are uneducated, or you are not smart, you know? So it's a broken system itself. Like it goes deep. And ooh, let's not talk about the hair policy in an African system. Because if you have seen the majority of the government school, women are forced to cut their hair. There's opportunity for you to, to cut your hair if you want. But like when I was studying, every two weeks, bro, like every two weeks, if you don't cut your hair, somebody is walking, and I remember this, and I apologize to any person whom I'd ever did this because I used to be on the student government board, and we were tasked. We were basically the little police officer, you know. Okay, so every middle of the every month or in the middle of of the week, they'll be like, okay, 
some children have not cut their hair. So they will give us scissors. You go, you cut people's hair like lines so that you can force them to go cut their hair. At that point, we thought it was cool. It was okay. But that is dedication. Because remember, education is a conditioning stimulus. Everything they're teaching you, you think is all right. So they'll be like, go clean up. Why are you forcing African women to cut their hair? Because in the end, once they, if if I like, I used to like my hair so much, but I never grew up, grew my hair until I went to an international school. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. Is that the reason why a lot of African girls, like in African countries, have short hair? I mean, I have short hair yeah, myself. I, I was just about to. I was just about to say that. I was I have just short about hair myself, that. but it's not because of that or because I like short hair. But you can't force people. That is yeah. not fair. Yeah, by forcing mostly African women, like remember, most of the people who are creative, they're creative in their youth age, you know. So you're mm-hmm. always forcing me to cut the hair. I'm not gonna have a mindset of sitting and thinking, oh, how can I make products? You know, a lot of hair products African use are made from outside the country. And have you ever wondered why that could be an issue? Because mm-hmm. we don't have time to even think like, oh, this product is not gonna work for my hair, or this product is not gonna work for my hair. Let me go think of some creative way to actually make my own products and all, you know? And we forget that traditionally, like in my culture, we used to have different styles on how women do hair. If you look in um, Eritrea, Ethiopia, you look different countries, they have their own way of taking their hair prior to this education system, which is why we we continue to say how African education system is an extension of colonialism and enslavement in African uh, mental states, you know, Mm because this is basically a prison system where you're being forced to cut your hair Mm. instead of being taught how to take care of your hair, being Mm -hmm. taught the tradition, traditionally, how did women learn how to take their, to take care of their own hair. Mm. So basically they're teaching us how to not like own our identity. Like Malik was saying, they, they depriving us from our identity too. Yeah. Uh, Today, uh, Benny and Malik and Carol, you guys are carrying me. <laughs> uh, real quick, Benny, I know you were, you had like a, I guess another point you wanted to hit, but um, there's this statistic that I read, right? I, and I don't know how true this is, but, you know, it's coming off of the the UN. But it said um, if every girl in sub-Saharan Africa completed just primary education, the maternal mortality rate would decrease by 70%. Rich. That's Mm -hmm. insane. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you have to understand that dedication, obviously you said once you educate a woman, uh, you educate the entire world, basically, in in general. But like most of our parents don't know anything about like human biology, you know? And um, a lot of these things, you learn them in school because obviously majority of African children don't have access to internet like the fortunate Americans who can study almost everything on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Or even if they have access to it, they don't have internet to, to even Google that. So where is the basic human biology education going to come from? From education. But if these people are not even completing elementary school, 
you can now imagine the risks of dangerous activities. Some some of these people are not even well educated about like infectious diseases that come from like sexually transmitted diseases or in the case you are sick, how can you treat yourself? How can you prevent, how can you implement preventative mechanism over like treatment? Because some people, even if they get sick, you take them to the doctors and all, because of lack of resources in the hospitals, they end up also dying, you know? So basically you're saying that we need to start with an access to early childhood programs, for example, like we need to enforce the primary school systems first. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I was reading somewhere where they said like a lot of countries in like Southern Africa and East Africa, they have the highest rate of like success, especially in East Africa. Um, most of the countries that are like the top in, in the global like education system are from are like East African countries like Seychelles. Mauritius, those are countries that people don't even know exist, but they, they're like the top 50 of the global um, educational system, which means like if you're uh, in between 6 to 16, the age the ages of 6 to 16, you're obligated to go to school, like to have access to education, kind of like in the US. If you don't go to school, they call your parents. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. I'm learning a lot. I know, I know Benny feels like very happy about her country's success mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> Leading the way. Can't say, can't say much about Congo. We're still, we're I can't still. say much about Senegal. <laughs> we're still behind. In West Africa, especially, we're still behind. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I think, I think Congo is going to be the last, the last country. Yeah. Oh, you said, yeah. <laughs> it's true. We have to be honest with each other. Definitely. Look, I was not expecting nobody to agree. I was expecting people to be like, oh, no, that's not true. Like, why would you? No, like, wow. I was also reading and it says that Central Africa yeah, 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 uh, yeah. comes last. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it, it is. It's true. But, you know, sometimes it's hard to hear the truth. You don't want to hear the truth. So you were doing, you were trying to fish for compliments. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> I like when I hear good things about Congo, bro. I don't want to hear. But when it comes to music and art, Congo is top one. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, don't don't let him get on his high horse because once he's there, there's no knocking him down. But even on that, like you know how I've, like obviously Congolese people have talent. It's course but you know the african um mindset is like oh if you're not a lawyer doctor engineer thank you you are a failure Mm -hmm. and then it goes into like the education system you know how here you can freely study music and oh can you imagine if you give that opportunity incorporate it into an african education system give like nature Mm -hmm. the the talent in congo obviously you're gonna get more talents you're gonna get more Money and everything that we're all here looking for. I was gonna make a point um about like um I guess being an artist. I think I think what it is is like that has become like a more popular route to take just because like there's not a lot of jobs, right? So a lot of people when they drop out of of school, 
you know, they, they feel like, oh, I could just end up being an artist and make money, right? Because you're looking at all these other artists that made it. And um, like in terms of like Congo, music is like a big, big thing to the culture itself. You know, it's a very, very important thing. So I'm not going to lie. You know, there was a point in time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I want to dance alongside Fali. You know what I mean? I you tell your parents that? I, no, I tell them that. That's an African That is not, that is, you know, but that w- there was a desire, you know what I'm saying? Like I wanted to, I don't think I know who our, where our son is or she been piano, but yeah, I did want to be a part of that group because, you know, you watch these people and you're like, I could dance like that. Like, yeah. what, does it, what does it take for me to get, you know what I'm saying? What does it take for me to travel to, to Europe and come back? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I could sing a little bit. Like, <laughs> but how, why are you laughing? I really can't <laughs> Some pause. <laughs> no, nah, we're not going to do that. <laughs> not why not? Can't. I mean, you how you sing. tease us like that? <clears throat> not tonight. You probably can. He's Congolese, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. You know, if oh. you don't sing, you're just proving the stigma that it's not that you can't sing. <laughs> I would say this. Are you going to sing? No, I think we're going to move on to the point that I wanted to kind of wrap it up a little bit with, with like, I guess, steps we can take to try and fix something like this, which obviously it's not going to happen overnight. It has to be like gradual. But I think for me biggest thing is like investing in women like education wise you know i think that's that's what it comes down to a little bit i mean and obviously there's there's other things but i think that's that's the most important thing i don't know i think being able to break certain cycles will help fix this problem because if if we get you know the children of tomorrow to have a good basis of education then we can start pushing you know the whole continent in the right direction right so i believe that if the african system were to have such annual events where you know um those that have made it in their their respective fields can come and inspire the younger generations you know in, in in africa the the, the the youth, you know, inspire them that they can make it as well in the global stage. I think that would really change a lot of things. Uh, coming back to the point that you made about how, you know, women are not, most of them drop out in an early stage of education. Mm-hmm. If they had more people to look up to, um, those that have made it, yeah, I think that would make a difference. Right now, our governments and our education system do little to inspire the the youth to inspire innovation in the young so mm. yeah that was that so, mm. no go yeah go right ahead sorry um that's an excellent point that's what i wanted to say so there's a lack of support basically for some people right true that's pretty good just having like an example of success is kind of motivate you to say that hey you know this person came from a similar background than i did and you know, look yeah. how they how they did for themselves, just believing in themselves. So that's that, that that's a good point. True. We should do that, bro. Let's get on that. Let's um. We should all come up together and then. I'm, 
I'm being a hundred percent serious. I don't know. Definitely, definitely. But I guess to, to kind of tie everything together, I love that idea Malik brought up about having some sort of representation for the youth. I know Omar. What did Omar say? Yes, exchange of knowledge. And I don't know what Benny's point was, but Benny, <laughs> <laughs> Benny had a wide range of points. She was very passionate about this. So, <laughs> but yeah, um, this is a topic that can go on forever. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think anybody here has forever. <laughs> at least <laughs> but you know you know we we definitely focused on negative sides but like we forgot the positive side there's, no, there's right, a positive but... side on this education system see i was i was i was just gonna say that like somewhere <laughs> along the way i was gonna say you know what we've kind of trashed a lot of it so no i i mean like i wouldn't say trashed i think i think it was more so like pointing out the structural problem like take take a building for example right you could have a beautiful building that has like structural foundation issues you know what i mean you want to be able to mm-hmm. address that instead of just being like oh at least like the paint looks nice yeah. you know what i mean i'm not gonna lie i, I don't know the positive side of the african education system <laughs> have you seen let me tell you one the quick one that comes to mind well if you really studied in africa most of the time you know geography majority of people yes. who studied in okay. the u.s <laughs> cool. you yes. ask them a country outside the u.s yes i yeah 100%. Shit. that is true yeah, yeah a lot of people don't know anything outside the states yeah yeah so um malik and carol i appreciate y'all for coming on today and uh shedding some knowledge also uh malik am i pronouncing your name correctly bro uh sure yeah (laughs) i'm definitely not how how do you how do you pronounce your name correctly well it's uh, malik it's kind of in between e and a oh oh malik sort of Made it worse. <laughs> I, I made it worse. No, because um, in in Arabic, you stress the a, you stress the a. That's why he said Malik. Right. Yeah, uh, you kind of stress the a, but not getting to pronounce the i towards the end. Okay, so so one more time, Malik, Malik. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, cool. And I've I been playing with this guy. I didn't know that's how they say name. Oh God. <laughs> oh my goodness. Malik. <laughs> Yo, that's not how we call you. Call... No, I make a mistake. I'm so sorry, Malik. Malik. Oh, my God. Malik. That's so different. And you said he was your best friend? Yes. Oh but, okay, how many people say your name like that? You know, um, I met him in Uganda. Wow. One thing you know about Ugandans, they say names wrong. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I just go to accept other pronunciations, so it's cool. Malik is fine. You telling me, bro? <laughs> my name, my name, same boat. My name, I feel you. My name, my name has been Amy since I've stepped on this land of the United States. So, <laughs> but yeah, but no, I definitely do apologize if I mispronouncing your name. Um. I think this is one of the longest episodes I've ever recorded, to be honest. <laughs> and <laughs> but, we still didn't finish everything. Yes, yeah, we not even like, but I think it was still formative, educational. Uh, I think the opinions and point of views were very much on point. 
I thank Omar for a lot that he shared today. <laughs> Shades. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's only one way to practice. I'm going to stay mute again. <laughs> but yes, for everybody listening, follow us on all of our social media platforms. Yes, sir. Official underscore Next Stop Africa. Keep sharing our content, please. Let us know if there's something in particular that you want to hear to discuss. Also, like I always love to say, you know, make sure you guys are giving us five stars and nothing less. If you give us a 4.5, please just delete your comments. I don't want it. Don't forget to check out our website nextstopafrica.net you can hear our podcast on there as well our solar contact info is there as well but yeah uh, we've reached my favorite segment of the show which is a song of the day who goes first sorry no it doesn't matter who goes first <laughs> 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 All right, so this is just off the top of my head. Um, yeah. I wanted to suggest uh, Wish Me Well by Timmy Dacolo. Wish Me Well by Amy Dacolo. No, Timmy. Timmy Dacolo. Oh, Timmy. I thought you said Amy. <laughs> <laughs> Amy. You're just, you're just yeah. not on top of it with the pronunciation today. I don't know what's going on. Is it my headphones? Or like... <laughs> okay. Okay, so Wish Me Well by Timmy Dacolo. And then... Um, Pap Ju featuring Ina Moja. The name of the song is Far West Africa. Pap Ju is from Senegal and Ina is from Mali. So, song of the day is coming. Uh, we have two songs of the day today. Uh, first one's coming from Ghana. Timmy Dakolo, Wish Me Well. And second song is coming from Mali and Senegal. Far West Africa. Bob Joff and Emma Moja. It was Emma, right? Or am I bugging? Emma. 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 What I said, Pop Juf? No, you said it was okay. I, I said Pop Juf, no? All right, Amy, let's just do another take. <laughs> Amy, is your name even pronounced Amy? No, no. no. It's Amy, it's Amy right? Because it's yeah. French. It's Amy. Yeah, yeah it's Amy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> take, take seven. <clears throat> uh, song of the day. Uh, we have two songs of the day. Um, first one is coming out of Ghana, Wish Me Well by Timmy Takolo. Second one is coming from Senegal and Mali. Song is Far West Africa. Artist is Pop Joff and Enna Moja. Yes. I think we're going to start to need to ask this ahead of time and practice. <laughs> yeah. No, I think no. This is not even that bad. Imagine trying to speak Arabic. <laughs> we, have... <laughs> no, we need to put that thing out, please. Put it. I, I got you. I, I got had to you. do at least like ten takes because I could not. I could not get the pronunciation right. But 
you know finally you get it right but yeah make sure you check out episode three which will be on african art kind of focusing on stolen african artifacts and kind of stolen african culture Mm, sounds interesting (laughs) please tell more amy by the colonizers yes by the (laughs) (laughs) yes uh, stolen the stolen art by the colonizers Um, as always though until next time peace